0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I discuss the Sixers' two-game winning streak, which includes a 110-102 win over the Pistons and a 122-94 win over the Hawks. We go over the league's top-ranked offense, and whether you can expect that to continue, and the bounce-back play of Tyrese Maxey. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on The Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network, since we last spoke, the Sixers reeled off two wins to improve to 4-2 on the season. Uh, that is a 110-102 to 102 win over the Detroit Pistons, a 122-94 to 94 win over the Atlanta Hawks, all of which gives them the league's number one ranked offense. And if you go by relative offensive rating on basketball reference, the best offense in franchise history. How you doing, Rich?
2: Wow, when you put it that way, I mean...
1: You might be doing Cham- okay, but you're not doing as okay as a sixers offense
2: championship, yeah, I guess i'm uh trying to figure out my parade plans in, uh,
1: <laughs> the second in best June. offense uh, in, in, or the second best offense in league in a uh, franchise history would be the 1966 to 67 sixers. I don't know if you know anything about that team, but they had a little bit of success.
2: They, they did, and we're, we're both writing different stories about them for uh, for the Athletic. Uh, yeah, they were uh, they were very good. But they also had Wilt Chamberlain, so I'm not sure the Sixers can count quite. I mean, Joel Embiid is pretty good. I'm not sure he's Wilt Chamberlain in 1967, though. Uh,
1: I'm not sure I am buying that relative offensive rating either. I'm sure we will get into that on the podcast. I guess where we'll start off, uh, would I start off with the game against the Hawks, the most top-of-mind game, probably the most relevant game, Best game they've played so far this season. I think we both agree with that. The one win they have against a real quality opponent. So it was, you know, you start off the season, and the Sixers coming to that game, they're 3-2. and two. And you have wins over the Pelicans, without Zion. Over the Pistons, without Cade. And the way I put it in my article, over the Thunder, without NBA talent. So you really didn't have a whole lot of uh, quality wins to bank on. Not that you necessarily need that in the early going, but beating the Hawks. And look, people call that a revenge game. Bullshit. You don't get revenge over the team that ended your season by winning in October uh, in the regular season, especially when that loss could, I mean, that could very legitimately change the trajectory of the franchise. This win is not quite on the same scale of that. But even better than beating the Hawks, it's just getting a real good game under your belt.
2: Definitely their best game of the season. Um, and if it, if we were talking about the top offense, like you mentioned, and there were four or five games that were like that Hawks game, then I think you would start to maybe not buy it completely, but at least be open to buying it yeah. a little bit more. They played really well. Uh, and you're right. You do not get uh, revenge from a game in, well, I guess it was June, but a game that typically happens in late May on uh, – on October thirtieth, you, you don't get that on Mischief Night, and you could tell the Hawks were not; uh, they, they weren't quite as pumped up as you would you would hope, probably. Uh, but like, look, the Sixers played awesome. I thought their uh, their defense it was their best defensive game of the night, just or uh, of the season. I thought just forcing turnovers like crazy, and it know, was
1: you, also their best defensive game of the night. They did not was. play a better defensive game last night. Yeah,
2: I might have had a few beers <laughs> after. Uh, <laughs> after said it was game. funny when we
1: were talking about it last night which is like hey can we do this like kind of early in the morning like can like 10 o'clock i'm like yeah you know i gotta write about the game can we push back past 10 uh, and then noon came uh, and rich was not quite yet ready so that does not entirely surprise me that you might have had a beer or two
2: so yeah but but i thought like maxi and um starting out on trey young did a really good job and then you have Thibel, who just fuck shit up i mean <laughs> it, it's just an amazing performance you had the, the great stat in your uh, in your piece today on uh, he's he's got two of the six games under 25 minutes, three blocks yeah. and three steals in NBA history. And honestly, three blocks and three steals. It, it feels like it's selling short what he did last night because he was it was one of those games where he was just moving at a different speed than everybody. Those weren't blocks.
1: Those were complete annihilations like you. Those were those made me feel bad and I wasn't even taking the shot. Uh, those were incredible. He engulfed them. He volleyball spiked them. Uh, they're demoralizing. I. It was. Look, the best shot is the one that stays in bounds and get a fast break off of. The one that went into like the fifth row did not do that. Uh, but it was just incredible. It was just incredible.
2: Sometimes I, I do agree with that, but sometimes I think, you know, if if it's that cool of a block, <laughs> it it does. Give you some energy, I would say, on on both ends of the court, a little bit of intimidation. And also, I
1: swear he, because we were, we were what, maybe 20, 30 feet away from it. He had a yeah, smile on one. that before he even blocked it. Like he knew what was going to happen there.
2: Yeah, he was, I mean, he was incredible. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. It was like a Top Gun volleyball spike, basically. Uh, yeah, he, he, he was awesome. Um, and he just, he makes those blocks that you just don't see anything. Also, I, it was funny. I, I kept watching Reddish the rest of the game. Cam Reddish probably was the Hawks' best player on the night. He, uh, every time he ran a pick and roll, probably after those first two, when, when Matisse got him in, in short succession there, he was going to the rim every time. He was not getting blocked <laughs> by Theibel, basically. And that's just, I don't know. Like, it's it, it's the thing about Matisse Theibel where he will have games like in New York where he's pretty much useless because, you know, he doesn't get in a defensive groove because that's not always the most consistent thing in the world. It's very hard to do what he did against the Hawks last night. And his offense just really has not taken a step forward, but man, you know, there are like 20% of the games, 30% of the games where he just gives you this insane lift on defense. I'm not talking good defense because that's, that's probably a higher number. It's it's a higher percentage of the games. It, it, I don't, I mean, he was just, he set the tone as soon as he came in and, yeah, that was the Sixers best game like. I thought Doc said it pretty well after uh after the game where he was like the first half we just didn't make shots and we still were up 14 points yeah. because our defense we were forcing turnovers, we were getting good shots on the other end. They were getting free throws by Joe from Joel and they were uh they were shooting threes and they they really didn't shoot a good percentage. And lo and behold, Seth Curry shoots a better percentage as his good game in the second half. And really, it was like a wire-to-wire great victory. So, I, you know, I don't know how sustainable some of this stuff is, but that clearly was their best performance of the year.
1: Yeah, and the first half, it looked like it was really setting up for a a, a disappointing game. You know, Joel Embiid came out. I think he shot one for seven to Ugh. start the game. They couldn't really shoot. His touch shoot. was all over the place. It completely abandoned him. The, they weren't really making shots from the perimeter. And you thought, man, if if if, if they don't get this together, they could end up blowing this game and they held the lead for most of the first half. I think it was right around 10 points for most of the, you know, late of the second half, of the first quarter and the rest of the second quarter, they were holding a lead. It's not like they were uh, behind, but you just thought something had to change and they did play better offensively in the second half. But at the end of the night, you know, they averaged 97.2 points per 100 plays in the half court. It's a good number. And again, when I say that, don't compare that to the offensive rating it's points per play, not points per possession, yada, yada, yada. This is from cleaning glass. We don't need to get into that. That is a a right around sixty seven percentile ranking, so it's not a tremendous offensive showing in the half court. But where they really gained a lot of points was in transition. I think they outscored um, the Hawks. I think it was thirty four to fourteen on fast break points. The Cleaning Glass estimated that they gained eleven point five points per one hundred plays above the average in transition. Uh, they forced a lot of turnovers. They got out in transition. They pushed the ball probably better than they ever have. As Tobias Harris said. Danny Green might, he made a joke about <laughs> Danny Green running funny, but he gets down there into the corner quickly. They did a real good job of filling lanes in transition, of using those turnovers that they forced into um, into transition points. And whenever they got the defensive rebound, which admittedly wasn't all that often, that was their one real weakness outside of shooting, outside of Joel, in that game, uh, whenever they didn't get that, that, that defensive rebound, they pushed the ball there too. So they did a real good job, real good job.
2: Yeah. Uh and look Joel like he he really it was kind of painful in the first quarter. He did not look uh like himself. God, he was just blowing these layups in ways that we haven't seen his touch. You, you know, we we've talked about it just watching it courtside. H- hasn't he had a couple of moments where he takes a jumper and you're like, "Oh my god, is that no even going to hit the rim?" Yeah, no chance. Yep. That's not something you usually Associate with Embiid. I mean, obviously, like if he's taking a, a fadeaway three at the end of the shot clock, like, okay, that's a tough one. But he's doing that a couple times no, on he, his. He's had normal Normans shots where
1: he looks like Danny Green against the Nets, and that's not what you're going for. That's
2: not but he does. For. He does hit the rim. He is talented <laughs> enough to hit the rim on this. Uh, Danny yeah. Green, another
1: o for five against the Pistons. Was it Pistons? He was o for five. Uh, oh yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah, he had another another rough game shooting. I uh, didn't do a whole lot there in the game against the Hawks. Uh, didn't. Take all that many shots, I don't think. Only two or three shots. But he has continues to struggle. He had a couple games there where he was making shots from the perimeter. Not the Danny Green season so far that I think you would have hoped, but it is early days.
2: But uh, yeah, back back to Embiid. Yeah, I, I am still a bit worried about what that knee is doing to his pop, like his ability to get to the basket and throw people around like he usually does. I'm also worried if that knee is like actually affecting his touch because I, you know, I didn't expect him to shoot 50% again from the, uh, from the field. As we said a lot last year, that was pretty much a historic offensive season, but his touches is off. So that's, that's an issue. But like for last night, even with the, the poor touch got to the line a million times, played great defense at the rim as usual. You know, and just just did enough to be a major factor again and win games. Now, like, moving forward, would it be nice if he started making his 15-footers pretty consistently again? Yeah, yeah, it would, and and that's going to be a big deal. Be nice nice uh, if
1: he was getting more consistent post position. Be nice if every now and then he wasn't talking about how he couldn't walk for two days. All of that would certainly be nice. Certainly.
2: Yeah, I I do agree with that general take of if you're going to play, and look, I, I think it's noble of him to, to be playing and to understand that this team is going to struggle if, if, if he's out, but, and you know, if he views it as, Hey, this is not going to be a, like an injury that I can make worse. If that's the case, I don't know. Um, but, but I do understand that, but you got to own your play. And, uh, if you, if you step on the court, you don't want to hear too much about, Hey, this knee is bothering me. So do, do agree with that. But again, and like I, I said to you, like it's, it's remarkable how effective he is even when he's like, you know, defensively, 50%.
1: he's controlling these games. He is playing as yeah. well defensively as he's ever played. And that was a matchup last night where that's a tough defensive matchup. That's a lot of responsibility for a big man, especially one who's maybe not moving all that well right now. And I think he played that, um, Trey young Clint Capella pick and roll really well. I think Tyrese Maxey did a good job fighting over the screens and playing that pick and roll. And they contained that to a mostly two man game, which they haven't always done as a noise goes off in the background as they hasn't haven't always done i mean we saw in in game 1 of the series last year when Trey Young gets in the middle like that and like he did against Danny Green um in that that game 1 he can cause havoc and he didn't really cause yeah. havoc last night
2: notice doc did not put Danny Green he did not. on he did not. Uh, on Trey got to say he's learning he's learning <laughs> uh
1: <laughs> i mean if he would learn <laughs> we don't Learned before the series last year. Ben Simmons might not ask. Out. Well, he probably does. anyway. It, who knows? Who knows?
2: By the uh, way, there there were a lot of times I was thinking like, is this Ben Simmons situation happening today? If X happened, like, yeah. If Danny was not on Trey to start the first game. I was thinking this right away last night. If the flailing foul rules were not in place, yeah. did the, does the Ben Simmons thing yeah. happen?
1: Yep. Yeah. And Trey got you know, two of those where maybe he shouldn't have. It, it's tough. Like, on, especially on that one where he pulled up off the dribble, uh, and I forget who, was it Maxie who ran into him from behind? That one looked close, because that actually did look like a, theoretically, he could pull up off the dribble in that instance. So it didn't look completely unnatural. The second one, I thought, did look unnatural and probably shouldn't have been called. Um, But yeah, I think that's having an impact on a few players right now. I think Trey is good enough where he will figure it out, just like I think Harden is good enough where he'll figure it out. But I do think it is an adjustment for them, for sure.
2: And, And I think it'll, I think with Trey, it might, take a while to to figure out because I I mean, I think like he's, he's not going to have as many bullshit foul drawing things in his repertoire. You you mentioned that first move that was going from zero to a hundred and stopping on a dime. And I know the NBA does not rule that as kind of a, I don't know what's the rule like uh, an abnormal unnatural 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 is the the term. Yeah. Uh, That's an unnatural play though, to stop that quickly on a dime. And that is, yes, he's not moving backwards, but uh, he is certainly trying to draw a foul there. Sure. And uh, I would hope if there's minimal, like, kind of minimal contact, you could argue Maxie ran into him a little bit too hard on that one. If there's minimal contact, I would hope that's a no call moving forward is my uh, is my general point. Yeah, and w- with Joe, he uh, it seemed like he was just content to let Trey shoot floaters. Yeah. Yeah, Maxie, get over that screen. Don't let him shoot a three. But if he's going to make his floaters we're gonna live with that and guess what he didn't really make any of his floaters so no, he
1: missed he missed six in the lane and one of them was on a nice rejection by maxi but he had some that he could have made and that would have been a different game for sure
2: yeah for sure uh it would have been a a twelve point game as opposed to a twenty two point game so no they they really did play well and i i completely agree with you you know as much as we wonder about the offense a little bit the defense is uh they're getting opponents to take the shots they want as well they are their location-effective field goal percentage, their defense, number one. So a lot of mid-rangers not giving up a lot of shots at the rim. And it's it's like it goes back to as much as Embiid with a touch is frustrating. Like, it's just it's remarkable how smart he is on defense and, and just how much of a presence he is, even while not really wanting to move that fast, you know? And he—by the way, to say that he still doesn't have some athletic moments in him, like, he— He had a couple. He at least had one really nice block uh, on on a pick and roll. I forget who it was last night, but uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's a it's a weird situation, but uh, I thought as limited as he is, he still made a huge impact in that game. So yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Um, And and like you said, it's it's weird because on the one hand, so their effective field goal percentage. Now I I tweeted this out in the morning, and I had somebody. Who's was like, oh, what the hell's effective field goal percentage? It's like, how, how'd you find me if, if anyway. Um, <laughs> in terms of their effective field goal percentage, 57% first in the league. Uh, their location effective field goal percentage, basically an estimate of what you would expect them to shoot uh, from, based on where they're shooting, 50.6%, the second worst in the league. Uh, I mean, this is where small sample size is really a factor, especially when the teams you're playing are just garbage defensively. And I think by and large, they are, you know, I think there is something to the fact that most of the great offenses will shoot better than league average from various floor spots. So I think you could say, well, the fact they're overshooting the expected is good. Sure. But you don't normally go from generating the worst shots in a league to having the most efficient offense. Like that's not typically something that happens, Uh, especially when you're talking about playing a, a very easy schedule. The fact that they are not generating good looks is something that does concern me. Uh, you know, I think this is something where, if they don't get Embiid going back on track, and if they don't get some some production from Simmons, whether that is Simmons actually returning or whether that is uh, a trade of Simmons for talent, I I worry long term about their ability to like. It's one thing to beat up on OKC or even Atlanta, who doesn't have a good defense, um, or Detroit. It's another thing to do that against playoff teams, and we really haven't seen that against a playoff caliber defense. Only two playoff teams they they've played so far: Brooklyn and Atlanta, and those are not defenses where you are really worried about. So we'll see, we'll see. I'm I'm it's still dubious for sure.
2: It's pretty wild that they're the number one off it's offense in the league wild. right now. Absolutely no, number wild. Number two on cleaning the glass if you uh, if you want to remove the the garbage time, but yeah. even so, that's. It does not feel like you're watching that. I, I guess the only time it feels like that is when Seth Curry is making a billion threes in a row, and I think he could continue to shoot a, a very high percentage. Like it's pretty clear, but he, you know, what is he at? Like sixty percent right now, seventy yeah. percent.
1: And that really is like when you look at their their indicators. Like they're first of all their slowest pace team in the league, which isn't entirely surprising. We've got a post up center, and uh, you don't have Simmons in there to, to, to push the pace. When you look at everything else, turnovers—they're a mid-pack team, 14th in the league. Offensive rebounding, 25th in the league, really bad. They're now getting the free throw line after these last two games, uh, which they weren't earlier. That's turned around a little bit. They're still only eighth yep. in the league. They're not incredible at it. But yeah, but with look-
2: the league's free throws going down, if if Joel just gets his ass in the post a yeah, little bit, that yeah. that number is going to go up, which is good. That's that's important.
1: You know, but a lot of this, like they're shooting 39% from three, which is fourth best in the league, and they're shooting really well on mid-range uh i have where is that uh they are shooting nope i don't have the team specific totals in front of me but they are shooting really well on on mid-range shots
2: 45 percent, third in the week
1: yeah so if they don't start like i said get if they don't start getting more shots at the rim which right now should have it up i don't i'm the worst right now they are second second fewest shots at the rim if they don't start generating more more threes and more shots at the rim, I just I don't see the sustaining.
2: They have shot more threes and so like last night was an example of I thought the the first half especially they didn't really make a ton of threes but they they got up a bunch they in did. the first half and it was but it was like you said it was their defense was fueling the the transition game and uh, that that is like look I hope for their sake like Doc would go back to them and say like look if you play relatively like this. We're not going to win every game, but like the vibes are going to be a lot better. Uh, you know, probably midway through the season because that—that's kind of the template we have to follow. I'm not sure they're capable of it. Like a lot of sloppy passing from Atlanta, and it's—it's it's fun. It's—it's it's so crazy that how important Ben Simmons is to their transition attack. Because you would think Maxie, like yeah. he's fast as hell. You know, he, he should be able to push the pace, but it's the combination of not being able to get stops and also. It, it, it's it's harder for Maxi to push the pace. And, just, and, just I is. mean
1: everything, forcing turnovers. Ben does better than Maxi. Yeah. Defensive rebounding, grab and go. Ben is as good as anyone in the league. And right now they're not rebounding all that well. Uh, and that is a key component to getting out on the break too. You, you can't run if you don't have the ball, as, as the saying goes. So yeah, I think they certainly miss Ben in that regard for sure, for sure. And just
2: yeah, we'll see. Should should, we'll see. should give credit to Maxi. Uh, his last two games after,
1: after we killed him, he came out and played his. Best two games of season by far, not even close.
2: Really good. And and last night was really good on both ends of the court, you know, and it's funny, like six, he's not, he's not going to be a real high assist guy. 16 and, and three is kind of the number you're looking for, but very efficient scoring. Definitely push the pace in transition. Only, yeah, only had three assists, but I thought he was responsible for generating good ball movement. Besides that, uh, yeah, he was good. Uh, that hit that step back jumper would, would like him, you know, if, if they go under that screen, fire away, young man, you know, let's, let's see it.
1: And he does look so much more comfortable shooting off the dribble than he does off the catch, which individually for his own personal growth and development and reaching his own individual ceiling, you could argue that off the dribble jumper is more important than a catch and shoot jumper. It is like, he's going to need that to become a real good pick and roll point guard. He's going to need other teams to really be afraid of going under that screen But this team is a very unique team where you have so much of your offense running through Joel in the post. He needs to be a threat off the catch too. And for him to look more comfortable off the dribble is encouraging for his upside. For him to have not appear like he has made much progress in being comfortable off the catch is concerning for his short-term role in the offense, which is part of why you see Doc throwing him in the dunker spot and generating, I swear, Rich, one day we will not, have to constantly talk about a point guard in the dunker spot. But when you have a non-shooter off the catch as your point guard, it it is challenging, uh, and he needs to grow in that regard.
2: Yeah, and Doc talked about that before the game, the spacing. Didn't really make me feel better about, like, the future.
1: And he was pretty sp- open, too. He was like, you know, look, when Shake comes back, and he said this before, when Shake comes back, like, we're going to experiment with the starting lineup, depending on matchups. From a fitness perspective, Shake isn't ready. Uh, but it is something we have talked about, and then Maxi came out and had another really strong game. You wonder if he could push back against that, but I think I think we will eventually see, if not Shake starting full time, at least on occasion.
2: And you could ex- you could theoretically experiment with that starting lineup in other ways too. Uh, you know, may- maybe you take Danny out or something like that. Uh, so I, I don't think that just means Maxi,
1: but I think it it does mean Maxi. I don't think yeah. Doc was being too cagey about that.
2: Yeah, uh, but he he played really well. So that's look, he, he's got a lot of potential. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of gifts. I thought it was funny last night at the end of the game. What were they up like 25 points? And Doc put Embiid back in the yeah. game for a minute.
1: It was, it was 24 with seven minutes left and Embiid came back in. I think you brought it up on Twitter like this has to be Hawks PTSD. That's the only thing that makes sense. Or it could just be like fourth quarter PTSD because of what they did against the Pistons and the and the Nets. And look, it ended up they they pushed the league back up and B came out like maybe a minute and a half later it wasn't a big deal but yeah that was that was pretty stunning that was pretty stunning
2: he's probably got a lot of negative thoughts running in his head <laughs> with a 25 point lead in the fourth quarter he's he's definitely got more than the, the average coach does uh yeah
1: so which is funny because i feel like last year they did do a pretty good job of closing out games in the regular season It's just that hawk series was whew. Not great. And not it's,
2: great. it's always dicey, too. Like, even last year when they, they had a lot of those old school load management games, when, when you put your bench in for extended minutes in the fourth quarter trying to see out the game and keep the other team at arms, like, there were times last year where it was, ah, it didn't work, we gotta put Joel back in. But but that's kind of the the edge you, you're living on there. Uh, last night was not dicey at all I, no, you just, I, you what, just, what
1: was surprising was that they i think they had two i think they had maxi and harris in there from the starting lineup anyway it's not like they were in an all bench unit with 20 up 24 with seven minutes left they had starters in there to keep them afloat and they still brought him bead back um yeah
2: for for like three possessions yeah which no, it they, it they scored but yeah it just it didn't feel like the game as much hawks PS- ptsd that you had as much as the fourth quarter offense has absolutely sucked. We haven't even talked about it. Pistons, oh my God, what a collapse that almost was. Uh, as, as bad as that was, it did not feel like a game that was going to be close at the uh, at the end of it. And whatever, no harm, no foul. It really he, is true. we 25 out.
1: minutes in this podcast. We haven't talked about the 16 to one run that the, the Pistons went on to make that game close in the second half. Another just complete disaster of a stretch offensively. Um I'm not sure I have...
2: Well, it, it just, it, it's just the complete opposite of what last night's game was, yeah. right? Yeah. They beat the Pistons. That was a bad win. They played bad. Last night was a good win. Uh, and, and, you know, even if it was a closer game, like I thought when it was 60-46 at halftime, I was like, ah, this is going to be closer down the stretch. Trey's going to make some shots. Everybody's going to shit their pants, blah, blah, blah. It probably shouldn't be that dramatic. It's, it's a game on October 30th. Uh, but they that was one where they dominated the entire way. And, uh, you know, you had him beat after that game being like, yeah, we're not even close to good enough. And uh, he was right. I, I don't know if like that message got through in the locker room or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, you could tell from his comments after the game. He was like, yeah, we didn't we didn't play good at all in this one. And the Pistons without Cade, they got Cade back last night, uh, are just not a good team.
1: No, no, they are not. Um... That's what I mean. Like before the Hawks game, and that Hawks game changed. We talked about um, last podcast how if they had just beaten the, the the Nets, maybe the entire feeling around the podcast would have been different. Well, that that one Hawks win does change the way this podcast went because otherwise you'd be focusing on that Pistons game, which, like you said, might have gotten a W in the the, the one loss column. It felt like a loss. <laughs> it very much felt like a loss. And look, early in the season, Joel Embiid's clearly not 100 physically. You don't have anything production wise coming from Ben Simmons, which you expect that to be resolved one way or another here eventually. So you really just need to rack up some wins right now because this is an Eastern Conference, which is a lot deeper than it, it was last year. Um, you still have the top heavy teams. Maybe the, the Nets aren't going to be quite as good as you expected them to, weren't quite as good as they theoretically could have been last year. So the top end talent might be a tiny bit down from what you expected, but the talent, you know, three through 10 in this conference got a lot better than it was last year. So racking up these wins is always useful, but not confidence-inspiring. Well,
2: I, that I win against the
1: Hawks was a little confidence-inspiring.
2: Yeah, it de- it definitely was. And I think this is a key stretch. Uh, from now until probably the end of next week when they start that road trip, let's even say like the first game of that road trip, Indiana, I believe. It's Portland at home. Yep. It's Chicago at home. It's Detroit on the road. It's Chicago uh, okay. on the road. Yep. Then it's Knicks-Bucks home. Raptors. And then Toronto, yep. Toronto at home, like they need to rack up some wins. Cause I think that West coast swing after that is going to be pretty painful and it would be painful probably even for a team that was playing pretty well. Uh, yeah. So, I, and let, yeah. And
1: I'm that West coast trip jazz nuggets, Blazers, Kings, warriors. Like that's, that's a, that's a tough road trip. That is a very, that's tough like, that's trip.
2: one where you're, you might come home and say, ah, we went two and four, but we weren't even that bad. And you might not be wrong about yeah. that. So
1: yep. 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 Yeah. Um, so my favorite road trip of the, t- I was talking about that last night. You are not the driver that I am, but that drive from Utah to Denver is incredible. Um, I understand not wanting to do it, but it was uh, it was incredible. So I'm jealous. I will not be on that one, but uh, yeah, that's, I, that's I, a tough I like
2: the trip, LA sure. trip better. I'm not as much of a driver as you. Oh, I like I like, the, I like
1: it. the LA trip too. There are two very different road trips, but I like that one too. I like that one too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, look. Where are they going to go from here? I don't know. I can't.
2: Like, am I telling you that? That's the whole point of this team. We we didn't know anything in the offseason, and now we're six games in, and we're just struggling. Eh, the offense has been pretty good. I don't know.
1: <laughs> if you ha- had asked me a guess, like I said, I don't think this offense, as constructed, is going to maintain even a top five spot, probably not even a top 10 spot. They are doing well now. Wow. If, I mean, if I'm being honest, what were they, 14 <laughs> last year? Yeah. Um. But they're playing well now. They're like I said, racking up these wins. Being four and two is like you—you you need these playoff seeding is going to be very important. It's going to be much tougher to have a high seed. Um, this is a a much better Eastern Conference. So, I think they've played the third easiest schedule so far, based on strength of schedule. For the most part, they've taken care of business. You'd probably love to have one more game, one of those two games against the New York teams. You'd like to have one, one of those two. But four and two is a good enough spot to be in. Get own Embiid healthy. Figure out what you're going to do with the point guard uh, and go from there. But yeah, I don't know.
2: If Embiid was healthy, I think this pod would probably have taken on a less skeptical yeah. view.
1: Yeah. And if, if, we, if we truly knew like, hey, this is just something where if he's playing, he needs to play through it for a week or two and he'll be good to go. If we 100% felt like that, then it'd probably be, all right, this is a short-term problem but he just outside of that Pistons game still just hasn't looked like himself offensively and they need to get him back
2: yeah and it's like we said it's the it's the touch it's the shooting it's really the it's the going into the post it's the high end offensive skill stuff like he he could still keep the offense moving with dribble handoffs and stuff like that it's it's like you you see a couple of those possessions in the the first Half of that game last night, and you you were reacting to these like you were like, oh yeah, this is weird. Like he's basically wide open at the free throw line. It would be a situation where he would attack, and he's like calling like Seth, like we gotta Tobias, we gotta do something over here. Like we gotta we gotta run a dribble handoff and and get the offense moving. He yeah. just it's like he even feels a little bit unsure of himself. And
1: I mean he he said it was after the Detroit game he said that it's tough for him to go in the post right now because that yeah. knee. Not a well, not that, what you want to hear six games into the season.
2: From the league's post-up king. I don't yeah. think you want to hear that. That's not no. not great. Uh
1: no. And there's a you know, there's a lot of people who will be like, ah, he's launching too many threes and okay. But like I I think he wants to be in the post more and I guess it's just tough physically for him. It's it's not what you want to hear.
2: I think I think his ideal the ideal version of himself is a bunch of post-ups and a bunch of threes, but you're not really getting the post-up part of that right now. Because like you just even saw it against the trade. Like Isaiah Stewart that's somebody he's he would just put in the basket last year yeah. and score 20 points again cuz he's just not big enough. He's a good young player, but he's not big enough. Uh luckily for him, I I don't know. He he didn't really pay it that much mind after the game. Luca Garza really poked the bear in yeah, that game. He did. Yeah. That he was did. probably his most dominant stretch of the year where Joe was like, "I don't even care if and my Joe knees was like, hurt "What? There's
1: nothing personal there." Like it was nothing nothing going. On. Yeah, he he definitely poked the bear. That is 100% yeah. true. 100% true. Uh,
2: and he th- he went into the paint and he you know, he threw him around for a couple of minutes and you just haven't seen that quite as much this season. So I made
1: mean, from, from 16 feet to the three point line, 27.3%, which is up shockingly. it was at, I think a low point of like 20 or 22%, uh, but well below not only his career average of 41.4%, but far and away the worst season of his career shooting from mid range. Um, I do expect like that to eventually turn around.
2: That's a positive. Yeah, that's yeah. from a team perspective like that is an indicator that's going to get better.
1: It's still the fact that he's only getting 16% of his shots near the rim. And the fact that his free throw rate is climbing back up, but still down a little bit from where it was. Uh, They need to they need to get him back to getting easy shots near the rim. And that hasn't happened so far. Yeah. Any uh, any other stray thoughts? I think as we uh, try to wrap this one up.
2: Tobias was good. Tobias really all been pretty good about that
1: pretty consistently here in early going, which sort of mirrors what he did last year. I remember last year he started off incredibly consistent. Uh, I think most people listening to this podcast wouldn't question whether or not he can be a good regular season player, especially under doc rivers, who seems like he is the regular season to buy a Uh, it is what are you going to do in the playoffs? And I think a lot of people will still rightfully have some questions of what that looks like, uh, especially if he is the second best offensive option, but he is playing extremely well, uh, 22 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists on 13 shots there against the Hawks, which followed up a uh, 17.6 rebound on 13 shot performance against the Pistons. Uh, and before that, he had that one where he had nine assists and probably had one of the best passing games of his career. So he has been good. Um, yeah.
2: Yep. Tobias has been good. We touched Curry on it earlier. Miss. He doesn't miss. Right. It's crazy. And Especially I mean, he only Hawks. had 50, only had 15 points last night on five of nine. But even even so, like he has a quiet first half and he just has this stretch where, you know, he makes three in a row and, you know, the other team has to call timeout and he really kind of takes over the game. I I really, he just looks, it's funny, he's not taking a bunch of threes like you would think the the indicator last year with, with Doc saying, hey, he's our best shooter, but he also passes up the most threes by a mile on our team. I feel like he's not passing up as many this year. I feel like he's just more closely guarded especially now with Ben uh, out of the lineup, like he's clearly the number one. I mean, with with Maxie not being as much of a shooter and with Danny green, not having to really be guarded outside of just don't let him get up a three. um, I I feel like Seth is getting more attention and he's, you know, his off ball movement at times has been pretty impressive. Like in ways I didn't think we saw as much last season. So uh, he played good. He, uh, the Hawks tried to post him up a little bit with uh, DeAndre Hunter, which was not, I don't think, the greatest strategy in the world. It feels like you were getting away from what you were doing. Seth did not like that question last night after the I mean, game. Look, when, DeAndre
1: Hunter is no Kevin Herter.
2: No, no. I, well, that's the problem. Doc has PTSD. He sees Kevin Herter and goes, oh, my God. Like, oh, this is my August nightmares for just but that, yeah, I, that I, red I, hair. <laughs> drilling jumper after jumper.
1: I think you're right. I think, I think. Atlanta came out and they wanted to try to exploit that matchup again. And Kevin uh, and Deandre Hunter, who I like a lot, he's just not, the he doesn't use the size quite as effectively offensively as, as Herter did. Um, and they went after Trey, uh, a bunch of times or early. I think, I feel like a bunch of times are early in the third quarter as well. I Set. think Herter maybe made, um, what I say? Trey. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, theoretically you would go at Trey too, but not when you're his teammate, that would be awkward. Uh, but I think they went after Curry a bunch of times there in the fir- first and third quarters. Uh, I think Her- Hunter made maybe one turnaround from the post, uh, but other than that, was pretty quiet. Uh, which that's why you live with those. Even when you have a couple inches, not a shot that most people, quite frankly, even work on that much or have in their bag. Okay, take it.
2: Only negative from the game was the glass. Oh my god, they got bludgeoned, and it, it, you know it. It was bad early on, but they they had built that early lead. Uh, it, it got worse and worse as the game went yeah. on. But the problem the problem was they were. They were forcing a turnover every like second possession and making threes, and it wasn't a close game. But man, I mean, Capella Collins and you could by the way, I also thought you could see him beat a little bit not athletically being at the craziest level. He wasn't he wasn't all that interested in chasing some of those rebounds against uh Capella, I thought. And just John Collins is such a pain in the ass, too. Yeah,
1: yeah he is. Um Clint Capella ended up with eight offensive rebounds. Gorgie Jang, uh four. They ended up with 20 offensive rebounds on, um, you know, 59 missed shots. But I think if you were to break that down into non-garbage time, I think they were approaching 40, collecting 40% of their misses, which was, I think it was very obviously their worst defensive rebounding game of the season. But I think if you go back to last year, it would have been like their second or worst defensive rebounding game in last year as well. It was just a real bad performance on glass. Really the only thing they didn't do well. Uh, and I do think it was a team effort. I think Joel Embiid, you can see his mobility at times come into play here. I think the loss of Simmons, you can certainly feel in this regard. And they just need to do better <laughs> as a team.
2: Doc was like, our guards need to do a better job of rebounding. I was like, "Well, they're like not good rebounding. Yeah, stuff. no,
1: I'm expecting Maxie and Curry to, you know, crash down on the glass is probably not going to result in a, whole, a great defensive rebounding team.
2: I feel like that's a strategy team should employ until Simmons comes back too, as well. Like I would. If I was another team, I would sell out pretty hard on the offensive glass.
1: Especially because the Sixers aren't a great transition team anyway, right now. So you're not. There's not the downside to it either. Yeah. Nope.
2: But yeah, I mean Collins. You know, as much. Uh, and it's funny. You know, you you thought there would be like a lot of bad bad blood from that rivalry, but I don't know. Jo- Joel seemed like he was having a nice time talking to Trey and Collins, who dunked on him and had the shirt of that. Uh, he's. I I think he's just a very good tough player. And honestly, we talk about PTSD. Some of those rebounds reminded me like game four when he's like throwing Tobias out of the way for key rebounds at the end of it. He's I, I don't know. I he's a guy over the last year I've really grown to appreciate in terms of he still has like a very high skill level. He could jump out of the gym and make threes and make some passes as well. But he's just a tough guy, too. So, yep. And
1: yep. Uh, Atlanta top five offensive rebounding team pretty much every season. And by every season, I mean the last two. because that's really when this team. Started to come into focus, uh, so not entirely surprising the Sixers struggled on the glass, but definitely a concern going forward. Um, I think It's probably just about all that I have on these last two games.
2: It's about it. Like we said, key key stretch coming up just in terms of home games, winnable games. Got to try and bank as many as you can. As, as much as we are going to uh, Kvetch, is that how you say it? Sure, we'll uh, go with that. Ab- I don't know if I've ever
1: actually said that word out loud. So I've, t- it I've typed it before, just yeah.
2: because I've—I don't know. It's maybe it's a sports writer thing to uh, to put that in their pieces, but uh, but but yeah, like as much as we are going to scrutinize how they are playing, you know what type of shots they're getting, and we think that's important. Uh, you know what is probably a little more important for a team that is as incomplete and. Uh, We don't know what the hell is going to happen to them in a a bunch of different ways. By the way, Ben Simmons is is riding an exercise bike. This has been your Ben Simmons update for the the podcast. Doc has no idea when he's going to come back as well. So that's great. Um, But as as much as we're going to scrutinize how this team is playing, you know, it's more important just winning. That's...
1: Yeah, it's like, gonna look
2: di- it's gonna look different I get, at the end of the season.
1: If you're listening to podcast, and you're like, we don't, you know, they're the best offense in the league right now. We don't need a wet blanket podcast host, but like that's just sort of our job is to look at things through a scrutinizing lens, try to figure out what's gonna sustain itself, uh, what is to be concerned about going forward, uh, what we think is going to play out. Um, it's okay. Like I said, it is great that they're picking up these wins because I think seating is gonna be not only important but tough this year in the much better Eastern Conference but I do think there are some flaws that they have to fix.
2: What one last note on the offense for me. Uh yeah yes I do w- when you look at the shots they're getting I think it's very fair of you to say hey this is going to drop. This is a good shooting team. Yeah. And, and I you know a, I it's
1: look It's a good mid-range shooting team too. And that's why I I I said like yeah, maybe they're way overshooting their expected effective field goal percentage, but I expect this to be a team that overshoots the league average expected effective field goal percentage, just not by this incredible amount.
2: Yeah. It, it, I think the bench is the perfect uh like way to look at this too, because you see that bench. Right now it's Shake, it's Matisse, it's Cork, Niang, and Drummond. There's not a lot of shot creation on that group. Like it's it's hard for them to create a good shot. When they do create a good shot, I think they're gonna make it. Like, I think Niang yeah. and and Shake, frankly, like, I think he's a better shooter than he showed last year. Cork is playing well. Um, but it's just the issue of how do you create that shot? Um, and, and that's kind of where I see their issues move, moving forward. Somewhat what I see with their starters, like, who is creating that shot as well, especially if Embiid is not in the post. Uh, he needs to get in the post just to draw double teams, by the way, too. Um, okay, but I, but I'm rambling. That's about it.
1: All right, Uh, I think that is probably a good enough place to cut off. We'll have another one of these here uh, pretty soon. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon.
2: See you, man.